And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal, the full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show, presented by RIA Advisors. Welcome to The Real Investment Show, Financial Fitness Friday edition. I'm Danny Ratliff here with John Penn. Hope everybody's off to a great start this Friday. Lots of information overnight. Debt ceiling seems to be averted, so no big crisis on the horizon, at least not until 2025. We did talk about this for quite a bit. Markets are trading trading up at the moment, trending that direction, at least half a percent in pre-market. Treasury yields are relatively unchanged. A lot of Treasury debt about to be issued, though. So going to be interesting to watch, see how that plays out. What really is has to happen now is now we need President Biden to sign us. I don't see there's any problem with that being done. But, you know, averting this crisis, John, has been, you know, been obviously the talk of the town, a lot to it. You know, talk about the economic devastation. We've heard the terms Armageddon mm-hmm. that have been thrown out there. We've known this is something that was going to have to be addressed. Um, granted, we are just kicking the can down the road. Republicans did get a few concessions out of this, but I don't think as many as they were hoping. Democrats are now discussing finding ways to completely avert this and take that time frame off. We'll see what's done. I think we're still going to hear quite a bit of talk about this, being that we are in a political a cycle at the moment. Granted, we're kind of always there. But, you know, what are you hearing from from people at the moment? I know you you have quite a bit of conversations around this. And it's interesting. We, we talked about this yesterday, you and I did, in the sense of how this year the trends or the the headline topics have changed so drastically from, you know, de-dollarization to, you know, getting a Fed coin to, you know, kind of the debt ceiling has seemed to take the front seat. Now, where do we go? Yeah, it's, it, it was like one extreme to the other. It was, okay, we're, we all need to go live in our bunkers in our backyard, and, uh, you know, we're going to eat our canned peaches, and you know, we got the de-dollarization of America. We're going to be buying our groceries with gold coins, and now that seems to kind of pass here. And, and then there was a lot of, to your point, Danny, a lot of focus and a lot of emphasis from the media, especially on the debt ceiling. And, I mean, you brought up a great statistic the other day. Since 1960, the debt ceiling's either been you know, extended or, you know, approved to be relieved you know, what you know 78, 78 times. times since 1960 yeah 22 times we've actually gone past that date and so i mean this is not something that's new but every time it does feel different it does and there has been so much polarization on both sides that it didn't feel like it was going to get a deal done as quickly as they did uh you know big big deal for mccarty to be able to come in and actually get something done uh chuck schumer trying to pass this through the senate as quickly as they could and they did it at probably in record speed once they actually came together which was um you know i suppose it's good we're we're we're, we're avoiding the inevitable at some point but you know good good news nonetheless so you know everybody's looking for employment numbers right now and i think this is something that you know we've been talking about for a while what does the fed do just this week we've had a lot of information that the fed has kind of given the idea that they may pause and wait before resuming rate hikes once again we are seeing that you know we look at the cme fed forecast uh, i believe that's up to like 76 percent chance that they actually don't hike rates at the moment so 
that is going to be the wait and see approach that we anticipate they would utilize here at some point. I do think the numbers today, job numbers are going to be extremely important to what they do. They meet June 13th and 14th. Um, you know, the Fed's going to come back and determine what exactly is going to happen next. But their expectation for this month is uh, hiring has eased a bit, only anticipating 190,000 jobs added versus 253,000 in April. And so these numbers, you know, we're getting a lot of conflicting data, but the market's have been well i want to say the economy has been extremely resilient the markets have been rather interesting in the sense that we still have a very big you know market breadth is lacking in the sense mm -hmm. that you know there's a handful of companies that are really holding the market up and so when you look at overall index returns yet people are looking at what their portfolios have done it's a little bit different and the things that would or should be working maybe haven't worked as well and so want to talk a little bit about here in a bit the inverted yield curve what that means what people are doing at the moment that you can take advantage of this current scenario but what is our risk on the other side of that i think we see quite a bit um you know and and we don't have the um the, the hurdles aren't completely out of the way you know we continuously kind of step over one just to get to another and that's fairly normal. We're always going to have these headwinds within markets, but I don't think the wind's quite at our back yet where we can just say, hey, and I'm not going to say throw caution to the wind, but get out there and really say, okay, now is a time that you can, you know, that a lot of these things have subsided. Now, granted, from a technical perspective, we're certainly hitting some new markers here and, and crossing over some, some resistance, which is positive. So, you know, markets have remained rather bullish in spite of all that's going on, even leading up to this debt ceiling, I think that the market was pricing in that something would inevitably be done. Um, bond yields have crept back up on the intermediate term. Um, I think there's some there's some good and bad with that. I think if you're a bond buyer, you know, or a CD purchaser, those are something you can take advantage of, which is something we discussed. We're going to get into here, but a lot of stuff that's occurring, and uh, you know, our jobs try to keep you guys up to speed on all of that. Um, you know. John, we talked about a couple of things that, you know, we're going to get into today. So we graduation time, right? A lot of things that are occurring uh, for, for these newly graduates. And what are some of the financial tips that they need to do? So want to talk about that. Talk about some tips if you've been invested. And, you know, I'm hearing from more and more people once again, where I feel like leading up to 2020, in that area, we we're getting a lot of calls, people saying, hey, I've been completely out of the market. Mm -hmm. How do we get in? Or, And hey, I have terrible timing. I get in usually at the wrong time. I get out at the wrong time. And I'm hearing more calls of people who've done exactly that. And so want to talk a little bit about what you can do to kind of mitigate some of that and, and maybe form your own discipline with investing. You hear us say that word quite a bit. And because I think it's really important to understand yourself and you know you and i talked a little bit ago how um you know it's so important to understand your own risk tolerance and what that means because unfortunately everybody's pretty aggressive when things are are uh, are good and when they're bad you know we see people run for the hills and i think you know part and parcel doing a little bit of both can be good but you know we see people that just throw it all in in one area take it all out in the other and they're their own worst enemy so tomorrow we are going to be doing a candid coffee 8 a.m it's how do you break the money malaise of summer? And, you know, as we've gotten through most of headline news, earnings season is pretty much a wrap. Granted, we're going to get back into it here another month. Um, 
what do you do? What are some tips throughout the summer to kind of go ahead and shore up your household? Um, we're going to talk about that. Richard Ross and myself tomorrow morning, 8 a.m. You can go to realinvestmentadvice.com. Go sign up for that. Um, we're going to cover quite a bit of information. But Can of Coffee was really designed to address your questions. So we keep this really open-ended. Uh, when we formed this during COVID, it was really designed kind of as office hours just to kind of sit down and uh, answer questions. You know, a lot of people had similar ones. And so it was a way to address a lot of people at once. And so we want to keep this going. Go sign up, realinvestmentadvice.com. Love to have you there. Going to get into quite a bit here um, in more and more topics throughout this summer and into the fall, especially as things evolve and we continue to see the markets change. So Fed, uh, obviously don't have much more information on that. Treasuries are relatively unchanged. S&P's up about half a percent at the moment in futures. So we'll be right back. You're listening to Real Investment Show, Financial Fitness Friday. you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Why, Red, whatever are we going to do over this hot, lazy summer? Don't you worry, little darling. We're going to break our money malaise. Don't let the summer doldrums sap your money's worth. Register for our next Candid Coffee with Danny Ratcliffe and Richard Rosso with summertime tips for your idle cash. Saturday, June 3rd. It's our half-year financial checkup, breaking your money malaise this summer. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. Candid Coffee with Ratcliffe and Rosso. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. Welcome back to the Real Investment Show. I'm Danny Ratliff here with John Penn. Second tries a charm there, Brent. It's Friday morning. It's all good. <laughs> it is Friday morning. Did you guys have a good Memorial Day weekend? We did. It's just hard to believe we're in June already. I know. You know, but yeah, yeah, we had a we had a really nice Memorial Day weekend. Thank you to all of those who make that weekend possible for us. So thank you very much for that, for paid, your service. Paid the ultimate cost. Absolutely. Uh, you know, so I think that's one thing that's tough. Many people forget about Memorial Day weekend is what it's actually there Absolutely. for. You know, memorializing those who have given the ultimate cost. So we do uh, appreciate that and our freedoms. Um, a lot of time, a lot of people utilize the, the extra day off to, to grill and to get outside and just spend time with family. And do you guys do anything with, with friends or family this weekend? Yeah, we had uh, we had some folks over and uh, you know, had some barbecue, and I wish I could say that I was talented enough to have the meat out on the smoker all day, but we uh, we cheated, and we just bought it and went and I just went and picked it up. But oh, uh, okay. But uh, whether you whether you throw the meat on the grill yourself or if you go buy it, uh, I tell you what, it was uh, we had a wonderful meal. It was a blessing meal, but uh, well, that beef is uh, 
It's expensive, man. It is. You know, th- th- that does make sense for somebody who doesn't have cowboy boots. Uh, oh, know, see, I was up. waiting. I was waiting for it. Oh, man. Oh, At see, least you didn't tell is. me you put it in the oven. Man. Or did you reheat in the oven? Did I, uh, uh, we, we kept it warm in the oven. Yeah. We yeah you you walked into this one, John. I mean, it's okay. It's okay. We'll get you there. I'm it's just okay. giving you a hard my, time. My, it's all right. I've, I've got, I will, I will be getting a pair of cowboys. I'm going to give you a complex. I'm sorry. It's all right. I don't mean to do that. But okay. no, you, you know, it is interesting. We are seeing the price of beef, beef has spiked significantly. And so, Brent, you mentioned you went to go eat this last week. And just for like a chopped beef sandwich, you said it was for two of them, like 30 bucks. It was ridiculous. I'm, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna out who it was, because <laughs> that's not the way I roll. But and they're yeah. very well known. I mean, they're a very well known barbecue place up in the northwest part of Harris County. Good reputation, uh, fabulous service, neat place. Way overpriced for what we got. Yeah, that's yeah. a shame. Yeah, two sandwiches and two waters were over thirty bucks. Just two sandwiches and two waters. Just two sandwiches and two waters. No sides. Wow. Yeah, it was the same thing for me. So um, the weekend before Memorial Day, I was out running a couple errands, and and there was a little barbecue place that, you know, in the area that I was at. And I was like, mm-hmm. I'm going to go in there and you know get some some sandwiches. Yeah. And for, one for me and our, our youngest daughter was home at the time. And I said, yeah. Hey, you want one of these? She said, Yeah, Dad, bring one on. And it was two chopped beef sandwiches. Hey, no banana pudding, Mm-mm. nothing else. Yeah. I didn't even get water. It was just the two sandwiches. Yeah. I think with everything, it was like thirty two, thirty three dollars. And I was like getting all of my money's worth licking the barbecue sauce off the wrapper it's like oh no this, we're, we're getting every bit of this yeah oh yeah uh-huh yeah now if it's good i don't mind paying for it yeah but this wasn't yeah that's no you good know, disappointing yeah. we traveled a little bit with the kids this weekend it was uh we typically split meals and um man i, I, was, I tallied up our expenses <laughs> and i was like hey babe i gotta go back to work yeah. um yeah well you know we saw this coming um Last year, maybe a little bit before that, as uh, feed prices were going up and the the guys raising the cattle were having to pay more to raise the beef, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of ranchers were selling off their herds because right. they couldn't afford to feed them. Mm-hmm. I have a nephew who was in the business, and it was pretty stark up in Kansas, if you will recall. Yeah, no, it was. The price of fertilizer has gone way up, and so you know, interesting article in the Wall Street Journal that you know talking about the shrinking supply of cattle has really you know, magnified this problem. And so um, USB production is on track to drop by more than 2 billion pounds in 2024, the biggest annual decline since 1979. And so a lot of that was the pandemic and, you know, all the other things that came along with it. But I think this is something that we're, we're seeing, you know, happen, you know, time and time again, where people are beginning to get out of that business. So uh, there's actually a quote from somebody saying, we're spending $1 million to make $4,000 a rancher in Southwest Nebraska, which, you know, that just doesn't make sense, right? There was so what was shocking to me, and I get it, you know, you have to kind of take a look at it. I mean, you have to look at it from their side, too, because to your point, too, Brent, you, you look at just the cost of water and irrigation and growing hay and alfalfa just to feed the cattle and just, and just antibiotics, medicines, everything goes into the cost. But you know, they said that on average, the cost of taking care of one head of cattle is about $700. And when they sell it for it to be, mm-hmm. you know, processed and, you know, into those wonderful sandwiches that we all like to enjoy, the, the amount of profit that they make per head, $12. Are you kidding me? It's unsustainable. $12? Yeah. I was shocked at that number. 
unsustainable. Yeah, so do the math. Think about how many you actually need to yeah. make a, to turn a profit. Uh -huh. Yeah. So no wonder people are getting out of business, right? But the prices have gone up more than 20% on ground beef since 2020. Um, average retail price of 533 a pound this year. Uh, and they could add at least 15 to 25% in 25 cents in 2024 based on this expectation that we're going to continuously see, you know, a shrinking, you know, cattle. Um, this is, this is interesting, especially right now, there's still been such a demand for it. And even more so than what we've historically seen, even with all the plant-based proteins and mm -hmm. things that, you know, they're, they're coming up with a lot more, uh, what do you say, adventurous ways to, to get your protein. Oh man, we, we bought, uh, I am going to out these guys. We bought Sonics a couple of weeks ago. Okay. And it was probably the worst hamburger I've had in a long time. Obviously, they were cutting the meat with non-meat product. Really? It was a horrible burger. Yeah. Huh. Usually, they're pretty good. I know. I know. But this was not. Hmm. So the, you, watch out. Well, yeah, I, won't have, I won't have those problems. We typically stay away from fast food. But um, I'll, I'll be sure if we do meander our way that direction, it won't be Sonic then. <laughs> Meander. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've been. I mean, we've been I, looking at other other. I mean, we've been using more chicken or turkey. I mean, oh, yeah, you know, every yeah. you know, even in the article, they're saying how cons consumers are mm -hmm. changing their behaviors. I mean, this is what's 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 going on with us too. We're we're not a lot of huge red red meat eaters, but every once in a while, you know, good old barbecue sandwich or yeah. a steak, man, it'll yeah. treat you right. That's right. But, um, but yeah, it's good for your we're, coat. We're yeah, it's good for your coat. But yeah, we're we're, we're exploring other options too, because it's. Yeah, I mean, it's just getting to be a little bit more pricey, you know? Yeah, so speaking of exploring other options right now, I think a lot of people are looking at the yield curve and what that mm -hmm. entails and where can they find actually getting a little bit more bang for your buck. And we've talked about this where, you know, there has been an exodus from a lot of these major institutions to go to online banking, get a little bit better um, interest paid than what you're seeing at some of these big banks. I understand the safety and security, especially of light of what's happened in March and April of this last year with some bank failures. Not sure that we are at the end of that quite yet, but we certainly may be. I do think that, you know, number one, you got to keep it with FDIC insurance limits at the moment just to be on the safe side. Even with the Fed, you know, saying, hey, we're backing up some of these uh, institutions, you never know. They may There may come a time where they don't. Even Janet Yellen has said that, hey, there's going to be some that fail, some that we, we save and some that we back. So have to be cautious with that. But I think what people are looking for is what are their options? Um, you know, we can see money market accounts at Fidelity and some of the other bigger custodians are actually paying a little bit of yield now where some are still not. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and so really they're not passing on that interest that they're getting paid to you. And so keep in mind, they're just storing your funds, especially if it's in cash, at least get paid for it. I think this is where you can make a little bit of uh, some changes. Now, what we are seeing is that, especially as the short end of the yield curve has crept up quite a bit, that people are a lot more inclined to go out and buy CDs. And one of the things I think that we need to understand and realize that there's always some type of risk with any type of investment that we do, whether it be market risk, reinvestment risk, you know, interest rate risk. Uh, and I think that, you know, with CDs right now, and even treasuries, I mean, if we look at the yield curve at the moment, um, you know, I don't have that pulled up, but I can. Yeah, on the short end right now, I mean, three-month U.S. Treasuries are close to 5%, call it 49 right? 
No, shoot, three months like five point three five. Oh. Six months are four five point four two. Sounds Twelve like months. I need to point. refresh my screen. Yeah, maybe so. Uh, Twelve months five point one two. Two years four point three five. Then you get down to the ten year at three point six one. A thirty years three point eight three. Which those are finally uninverted. We did see those that were relatively really close. Now yield curve in general is inverted, and typically that does signal recession on the horizon. Um, and that is one thing that I think that it has been difficult because we've had so much you know, conflicting information and data that we've been receiving over the last year or so. And yet here we are, we're not in a recession or they haven't called it one as of yet. And I think this is where it is very difficult for a lot of people to understand and say, okay, where, where do we go? What do we do? And I think that some of the problems is that we've been very, very inclined to stay with the short end of the yield curve because we're getting paid so much more for it. But I think we're going to face some reinvestment risk. And, and, and look, we own bonds on the short end of the yield curve, CDs, um, treasury bills. But you need to ha- start to lengthen duration here at some point. I know the Fed has talked about, OK, we're going to stop here in June, potentially. Uh, I think they could change based on what the numbers look like here today. Um, but they start back at the end of July, August. What happens? We get into September. Do they begin to hike rates again? And what's the overall impact? How much longer can they do this? Essentially, what will happen is that at some point, we're going to see these rates will fall. Mm -hmm. Usually, and I think from a market perspective, and this is what's tough, is that historically, when the Fed is hiking interest rates, they're doing so into a really strong, organic growth economy. um, And the markets historically are doing pretty well in spite of them hiking rates. Consumer strong. Now, the difference that we have now is that we're coming out of a pandemic. And... We were given, I mean, the the response to it, the fiscal, the monetary policy, all the money that was flowing through the markets was just changed the way that we have to look at this, I think, in many ways. So where usually when they're hiking rates, the market's doing well, well we saw a pretty bad downturn. In fact, we've seen 10 rate hikes since uh, just last year. Uh, one of the fastest rate hiking campaigns that we've seen. And the markets took it on the chin. There was no place to hide bonds, stocks. Everything was down with the exception of cash. Mm-hmm. So when we get back on this side of this break, do you want to talk a little bit about what should you be looking at with CDs or bills? Um, how do you do it? And then should you be looking at things a little bit differently maybe? So you listen to The Real Investment Show. We'll be right back. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com welcome back to real investment show i'm danny ratliff here with John Penn. So talk a little bit about the yield curve, what's going on, obviously creating a really nice environment for somebody with short term cash, uh, looking for opportunities to put funds aside. Um, you know, one thing we, we, we've kind of discussed is, you know, what does the inverted yield curve historically mean? And generally speaking, when we look back, um, usually that's signaling a recession. And I think this is one of the things that we've been kind of 
looking past, at least for a while here, uh, you know, recession headline, recession headline, all the economists and market watchers at the very beginning of the year said the first half of the year is going to be really rough. Then we're going to have that recession priced in the second half is going to be great. We got to about February after the market had, had a pretty hot start and it flip flopped, right? Oh, you know, first half is going to be uh, going to be great. Second half is going to be rough. And, you know, so we had to be cautious with this. But historically, on average, going back to 1978 to 2022, um, the ranges of a recession with the yield curve inversion have been from six to 22 months, with the average being 12 months uh, being the average time elapsed between the yield curve uh, initially inverting and the beginning of a recession. Now, we've had the yield curve invert a number of different times in the past. We saw it happen in 2018. Uh, we saw it happen in 2020, all for brief moments. And then just this last year, you know, obviously quite a bit more, and it stayed inverted. And so what this means is essentially that short-term debt is paying more than long-term debt. And this usually happens when there's lots of times of uncertainty. So if, uh, you know, think of this, the institutions or banks, or uh, they're, they're basically, you're loaning them money when you give them a CD, or when you buy a CD, excuse me, or a bond for that matter. It's an IOU. And they don't want to pay you a higher rate for longer because of all the uncertainty that they believe that interest rates will decline. So they want to entice you to buy something on the short end, thinking that in the future when that matures, it'll likely be lower. And then they will not have to pay you as much. So they're kind of hedging their bets. And this is what happens in these times of uncertainty that we, we're in. But this isn't a necessarily a 100%, you know, indicator that we're going to see a recession however when the yield curve inverts it is pretty darn close to being to being there now we also look at what the fed looks at they look at pce uh they also leading economic index which has been negative for like 13 months in a row that is a that is a pretty big flashing yellow sign now the difference and lance has talked about this in fact in our last newsletter and i think on his tuesday takes if you go to realinvestmentadvice.com, go to insights on the blog, you can also go to the newsletter and get a lot of information there that there is a, there's a lot of moving parts at the moment. And I think that, you know, looking at what the yield curve is doing and where it's going is important and something you can take advantage of. So, John, I know you've had conversations with mm -hmm. people about trying to get the most most yield that you can at the moment. What are some of the things that you've been, you know, kind of walking clients through and giving some people some ideas? Well, I know, I mean, leading up to this point, probably about a year and a half, two years ago, I mean, I can't tell you the number of conversations I had with folks where it was just for their emergency funds or for just money that they had in their rainy day fund or savings, or maybe they had money set aside for maybe the purchasing of a potential piece of land or some property. They were looking for a place where they could keep their money in a safe, liquid environment, no risk, and they wanted to earn 3 to 4%. And at the time, it just didn't exist. Right. Yeah. Or if it did, hey, tell me where it is. I'd like to look at it, too. But at least now, because the Fed has been so aggressive with raising short-term interest rates, to your point, Danny, it's been raising rates on the short end of the yield curve. And when Danny's talking about the short end of the yield curve, what he's really talking about are, are debt instruments, whether they're certificates of deposit or U.S. Treasuries or just bonds issued by corporations, what have you, that have a short lifespan. Maybe this, maybe this debt, this paper, has a life of... You know, one month, three months, six months, nine months, a year. It's on the. It's way out here on the short end. And when you're looking at the long end of the curve, you know, those are bonds that have a longer lifespan. You know, ten years, twenty years, thirty years. 
And as an investor, if I put my money or if I loan my money to an entity for 20 or 30 years, you know, I'm taking more risk because I'm making the bet that 20 or 30 years from now that that entity will still be in business to not only pay my interest that's due to me, but I'm also going to get my principal back. Well, right now, as Danny mentioned, the yield curve is inverted. Rates on the short end of the curve are, you know, you're earning more on the short end. So um, just a lot of conversations around right now. It's like, hey, where, you know, how can I maximize my yield here in the near term on some cash or savings that I have? And to your point, Danny, you know, looking after I refresh my screen, you know, you can get, you know, three-month paper CDs, U.S. Treasuries that are paying a little bit north of 5% right now. But the risk is, so do you put your money into a three-month CD or, six, you know, it, you know, six months from now, will rates, that's the risk, will rates still be high or, you know, possibly could rates be lower? And then you have that reinvestment risk that you may be reinvesting that money at that time into a lower rate. So sometimes with folks, depending upon what your cash needs are and what that cash is for, you know, maybe you can ladder these. Maybe you look at putting some of your money into a, like you can stagger it, put some money into a three-month CD, a six-month, a one-year, maybe even go out to two years, even though the two-year might be paying a little bit less than the three-year right now, at least you're locking in that rate for two years. So that way, if the Fed does get into rate-cutting mode, at least you've locked in those higher rates for two years, and you're, you're reducing your reinvestment risk there a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's one of the, the kickers is that you need to understand what you need funds for. Right. And so understanding what your cash flow looks like, what your savings rate looks like, and then what are your objectives or your needs here in the future? Because we don't want to lock something up into a six month or a year CD and then have you need that. So, you know, we want to make sure you have the emergency fund still liquid, but other funds that you may say, Hey, we're going to, we're going to buy a home in a year. We're going to need another car in six months. That's okay. I think that's great. Put those funds aside, get a little bit more yield for it while you can. Now, keep in mind, if you go buy a brokered CD, and I hear this a lot, somebody will go into Fidelity's website, they'll go buy a CD, and then they'll call and say, whoa, what's going on? You know, it's not worth, you know, so typically a bond at par value is worth $1,000. And so we're buying them in $1,000 increments. But before, so at par value, at, at, at initial issue, all the way till surrender, they're going to move. It's going to be trading at a premium or a discount based on where interest rates go, and it's going to have that inverse relationship. That's right. So picture it on a seesaw. If interest rates go up and you buy a CD at 5%, and now XYZ Bank is offering one at 5.25, yours is going to be trading a little bit under $1,000. No big deal, still FDIC insured. When it matures, you're going to be able to get those funds out plus the interest. But if you wanted to sell it prior to maturity, you're going to likely sell it at a little bit of a discount. So not getting your full 5% in this in that example. And that's one thing I think that a lot of people don't understand or see. Because when you walk into a bank, most people's experience with CDs are going into the bank, buying one from, from them. And if you had $10,000 CD, it's going to be $10,000 plus a little bit of interest all throughout the time versus getting the interest maybe paid at the end or semi-annually, depending on how long it is. Um, so a lot, a couple different moving parts. Visited with somebody the other day as well who wanted to look at CDs and said, hey, I found these CDs. Tell me what you think. And they were callable. Mm -hmm. I said, well, hold on. Let's talk about this and what that means. And so looking at a year CD, they may be able to go get five and a quarter on it. But it was callable in six months, meaning that if interest rates were to decline in this that period, and they may not, but if they did, XYZ Bank would have the ability to, to pay you off 
and pay you the interest up until that date. And then you would be stuck with what you just mentioned, John, was that reinvestment risk going back out, finding another CD, but at potentially lower rates because that's why they would call it. Now, if rates have gone up, you're stuck, right? You don't have that option to call it. Now, you can always sell it, but likely at that discount like we just talked, so you're selling it for a little bit less than what it was initially worth. So that's one thing I think that you need to understand when you're looking at these CDs. But also, if we have this inverted yield curve, they historically don't stay inverted as long as they are right now. Not not often. Uh, we're getting a little bit long in the tooth with this. So at what point do you start adding a little bit of duration just to your portfolio in general? I think we're probably getting closer to doing so, especially with the Fed kind of, you know, they've finally taken their foot off the accelerator at least for a bit, we're coasting here, and we'll see if they don't hike rates. If they don't, and then maybe they get back to it. But the rate hikes are likely going to be limited from this point where they're not going to be super aggressive with this. Um, so this may be an opportunity as well to go ahead and add a little bit of that longer-term debt. So keep in mind, though, where you're looking at duration when we, when we go and add bonds. And so if you believe that interest rates are going to decline at some point like we do, then adding longer duration, I think, is going to be very prudent because you're going to also lock in some some better yields, but you're going to get some appreciation. And if you get really long, and now this is where you have to have no kind of your risk tolerance and what your appetite for this is, if, if let's say that we're wrong and rates continue to rise for an extended period of time um, and they get much higher than, than where we are, which, you know, look, Treasury... I, I think you would think that Janet Yellen is pounding on the desk of Jerome Powell because of looking at the amount of interest that they're having to pay out and, and the amount of money that is, it's got to be astronomical. It is astronomical. So the Treasury does not like these higher rates for longer. And at some point, we will see these come down, especially we are a very debt-driven economy mm -hmm. and society. We've seen the, the numbers. We've seen the rates. Personal savings rates have declined. Uh, credit card usage and balances are back to 2009 levels. Um, so we're going to see these rates decline. But what if we're wrong and they stay up for a longer period of time or continue to rise? Then you're not going to get that appreciation. You'll get the yield for the, for the moment. But just another thing to think about is adding to your portfolio. How should you do that? I think you need to be very strategic about this. I know there's a lot of traders out there that will trade it. We've done a little bit of that in the past. But, you know, I think now is when you need to think about where do you add the short-term debt? Where do you start adding to a little bit longer term? And I think that's something that, you know, you can do and take advantage of in this environment now. But when we get back, we're going to talk about financial planning tips for recent college graduates. So that may not be you, but I'm sure you know somebody that is there and going through that right now. We'll be right back after this break. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Welcome back to the Real Investment Hour, Financial Fitness Friday edition. Real Investment Hour. Man, I'm going way back. See, Brent, you throw me off today. It's Friday morning. It's all good. How were those mushrooms, Danny? Was, <laughs> I don't know. Mushroom muffins, is that what's going on? Yeah. Hey, we had that for years. Mushrooms? No, Real Investment Hour. Oh, yeah. 
We were talking about beef earlier. Some sauteed mushrooms go great with that. It does. Oh, staying on the mushroom theme for a moment. There you go. Friday morning oh, talking about food. See, we're right. already off track, John. Thanks. <laughs> it's been a long week. But so talk a lot about so financial fitness Friday. We talk a lot about financial tips and things that you could be doing. Um, and one thing I think that the, I'm not going to say the industry, but the education system does an extremely poor job of educating our children especially when it comes to finances. Um, I'm not going to say that because, look, there's a lot of good educators out there. My kids have had fantastic teachers. But in general, what I'm getting at is the financial literacy is certainly lacking in many ways. And so I um, wanted to just spend a little bit of time, especially as we're in that season of you know a lot of people just graduating from high school, from college, um, a lot more graduations here right on the horizon. What are some tips, John, that uh, a recent college graduate should be thinking about or should be doing? Yeah, and this kind of hits close to home because uh, we have two daughters, and our oldest daughter just graduated from college, literally uh, over Mother's Day weekend. Woo-hoo. So, so a lot of great conversations going on in the penthouse right now uh, around this. But uh, even, you know, but uh, to your point, Danny, you know, even up to this point, even up to you know, both of our girls, you know, they've been, in, you know, our youngest is still in college, oldest just got out, but throughout their even high school and in college, we've been have we have conversations around. I mean, they've, they've got questions that are financial related. So we're, we're fortunate that we, we've been able to have conversations. But um, now, so, you know, you've worked hard, you've, you've gone to school, you've gotten your degree and you're out. And so it's kind of like, well, now what do I do, right? And um, I know in our case, our oldest daughter, she moved back in with us, right? So she's back here in Houston, you know, staying with us. And she's, you know, the income that she's going to receive from her employer, you know, she's going to, we, we are going to encourage her to save that and really get herself started off on the, on the right foot, right? And, you know, build up that emergency fund, build up that rainy day fund, have that earned income. We're talking about Roth IRAs, you know, and what's the difference between a traditional IRA? What's the difference between a Roth? Hey, when you start working with your employer, let's, exp- what are your benefit options, right? Let's, let's mm-hmm. look at all of this. So, um, and it can be, it can be very overwhelming and there's no way you can hit all of this in one little conversation around the table. It's something that you, that you want to look at over time. But, um, I mean, studies show, you know, half of college graduates move back in with mom and dad. And we are certainly in that, right? Yeah. And I think that's okay. You know, I, Absolutely. I also know a lot of uh, parents that have said, okay, move back in, but you're going to pay rent. Yeah. And what oftentimes they do is they give that rent back to them to help them, you know, buy the first home or get into an apartment, get a place of their own. And so, but creating those habits early and at a young age, I think is extremely important because you want them to understand and, and to have some independence. It shouldn't be like when they were in high school. It should, it should feel a little bit different. It should maybe a different set of rules. I'm sure, you know, it's not just an open door policy. Mm-hmm. Hey, come in at three or four in the morning type deal. But I think it needs to be, um, you know, have some ground rules associated with it when somebody's moving back in and to teach them how life really is. I mean, my dad said, look, you can't move back in. But he had a rental property. He said, listen, you'll help me with some things. You can move here. I want you to, to find a job that you really want. Um, luckily, I found a job right away. But he said, you are going to pay me rent. And uh, mm-hmm. I remember, I think my first paycheck was like 900 bucks. And uh, he said, all right, well, how much was your paycheck? I told him, he said, great, rent 750 I thought, hey, man, <laughs> like, how am I supposed to live? He's like, I don't know, figure it out. Uh, but it was a good, it was a good life lesson in a lot of ways, right? <laughs> it certainly makes you live beneath your means. 
uh, in that environment, I started thinking, I was like doing math in my head. I was like, Dad, how am I going to eat? You know, got to go do this. And Hey, I, I remember, so um, I was in high school, and I, w- I was fortunate enough <clears throat> to, to have wheels. I mean, I had a car, mm-hmm. right? I, it did, you know, and it was a, it was an, I'm going to date myself, but it was an 86 Buick Park Avenue. Clean, man, kept it clean. But I remember uh, one night, you know, my dad was like, you know, we need to go, we need to get new tires for the car. I'm like, sweet, get some new shoes for the Buick. So uh, next Saturday morning, wake up, and he's out there drinking his coffee, and we're about to go, and he looks at me, and he goes, you got your checkbook with you? I was like, oh, <laughs> you want I'm, me buying to pay these, I'm buying these tires. Yeah. And I, so, I mean, just, I mean, but, it's, but I remember that to this day, and, it, 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 and I was taught life lessons all along the, the, the road here, and looking back on it, I mean, I, I wouldn't change it, Yeah, you know, because it, it taught me so many value, valuable lessons moving forward, right? So I had a Delta 88, oh, uh, 87 yeah. Oldsmobile. Um, and I had buddies that would want to ride in the back because they're like, man, it's like a couch back here. It's uh-huh. so comfortable. They don't make cars like no, that. No, they anymore. don't. They don't. Yeah, so was yours the same way? Like, Yeah, same way. I mean, it was it was a big, big old back seat, and it was just clean. You know, the, the, the wire spoke tires on it. Yeah, and, it was, yeah. and I kept it I took really good care of it. But I was responsible for fuel and insurance. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I chipped in for all of that. And one of the, I think, you know, one of the tips for folks that are, you know, recently, recently graduating from college, you know, there's that, that's, there's that kind of that urgency of I want to get a new car, I want to get a new car, I want to get a new car. Even our oldest daughter, she was like, Dad, I really like those new Ford Broncos. I said, yeah, so do I. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to get one before you do. But um, I was like. Show the price tag? Yeah, I did. And she was like, real oh. proud of them, aren't they? I was like, man, are you kidding me? Yeah. Really? Um, but I was, you know, I said, you know, she has, we're very blessed that she has a vehicle. It's got about 100,000 miles on it, but we take good care of it, and she's going to keep that. We're not, it's like, if you, at some point, if you want help with a vehicle, but, you know, you're going to be responsible for it. So we're not going out there and buying a new car. Yeah. Not, not, not going to happen, right? Good for you. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's important. And I think that, so, you know, as your, your child or grandchild or, or, you know, whoever it may be is taking, looking at new jobs, make sure you understand and they have a really good feeling for what benefits they get. Um, this is often overlooked. I think you know many times we just look at the salary and say, "Oh, I'm going to make X amount," or "I have the ability to go and make so much." And so, you know, one thing I think that I see a lot of college kids get sweet talked into. They take a job that is maybe commission based, mm-hmm. and they give you all these numbers. Well, if you do this, this, and this, you're going to make X amount. I mean, can you do that? Well, of course I can. You know, and um, you've often find out that may not be the case. So. If and I'm all for that, right? I, I I'm all for hard work paying off, because I think that it you know it builds a lot of character, especially in somebody younger, to understand where you know you're gonna you're gonna eat what you kill, so to speak, in a lot of ways, right? And so I'm I like that where somebody can go out and say, look, listen, I'm not gonna be, uh, I can make as much as I want, and if I don't make a whole lot of money, I mean it's gonna be on me. Um, but I think you need to look at more than salary. Make sure that they have health benefits. Make sure that there's 401ks, there's matching. Um, if there is a pension, they know they probably will never hear that word. Uh, but if there were, even better. Um, you know, and and then look at, you know, how do you use all of these tools and use them the right way? And I think that especially if you're starting off, you're likely not making a ton of money. You start to see how much money is taken out. And that becomes really difficult for somebody to say, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and buy this. I'm going to go, I mean, like fund the IRA or fund the 401k, do the HSA. Um, 
I think that's when it becomes really difficult, John, because you see the paycheck and all of a sudden they realize how much money's coming out from taxes. But if you become accustomed and create that habit, you don't miss it. Well, and you start, and you know, even if if you start, I mean, this this really would apply not to, I mean, I would think not just even college graduates, but all of us. You know, you just start even with a small amount. If you're able to set aside twenty five dollars, fifty dollars a month, whatever that may be, and start just building up that rainy day fund over to the over to the side. If you can somehow set aside you know, a good three six months worth of expenses. I mean, you never know what life is going to throw you, Correct. right? You know, un- unplanned medical expenses, you know, freak accident, whatever that may be. And, you know, you know, according to thebalance.com, you know, half of Americans still, Danny, have less than two, half of Americans have less than $250 left over after, at the end of each month after looking at all their expenses. 12% have nothing left. Wow. I mean, they're living literally month to month, right? That is crazy. And so if you can instill behavior at a young age with your children or your you know, family, you know, just even just, hey, little steps. You know, sometimes you look at this amount that you need to have in savings or that you need to save for retirement. We see that all the time where folks go, how on earth am I going to get to this lump sum that I need to support me for the rest of my life? And they look at this number and they go, uh-uh, I just can't do it. Well, that's but right. But if you start, just, just chip away at it, right? Just get in the behavior. Well, that's exactly right. I think that too often, you know, we've talked about those commercials that show like, what's your number? What's your number? And then you, you see that number, you think, oh man, I'm never going to get to that number. How in the world are we going to do this? And, but it, you're right. It's got to be chipping away. It's got to be taking advantage of all the benefits that are out there. You know, visit with people all the time that aren't fully funding a 401k for whatever reason it may be saying, hey, I'm not going to do it because I need the money. But it's like, whoa, 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 wait a second. You need to at least fund up to the match. Mm-hmm. And don't leave don't leave any money on the table because there's a lot of that that's going on. And so we need to take advantage of every little benefit that we can get from our employers and then understand how to use them properly. Right. I think teaching a, uh, a recent college grad or anybody for that matter, like how to use an HSA properly. But too often we get those confused with flexible spending accounts, not health savings accounts, which we can actually roll over, let them grow and many times invest. I think there's a lot of opportunities and a lot of low hanging fruit that we want to make sure that's always taken advantage of. You know, and, and so that's the key. So make sure you uh, you look out there. Go to realinvestmentadvice.com. Go to Retirement Checklist. We also have a lot of those for somebody that's a recent retiree or potentially thinking about that because that'll be something we'll be talking about as well. Like how do you navigate from one spot to the next? As life cycles change, things occur. I think it's always... Uh, good to have you know be armed with as much information as many tools as possible but hey thanks for joining us today hope everybody has a fantastic weekend uh we will see you guys on monday lance will be back go sign up realinvestmentadvice.com for candid coffee tomorrow morning saturday at 8 a.m central standard time hope to see you guys there have a great weekend